BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. So what exactly was the point of that? That is the million dollar question. That is the question that many of us were asking in the immediate aftermath and the question that many of us are now continuing to ask after the dramatic Tuesday afternoon decapitation of House Speaker Kevin McCarthy after only nine months on the job, thus making him a fairly short-lived speaker, certainly for Kevin McCarthy, who has been a member of the Republican establishment going back essentially to his time in the House. This was certainly a shorter stint than he had envisioned for himself. Kevin McCarthy, who wanted nothing more than to boost his own career to He's always been very ambitious. I mean, going back, he was on the cover of that book, Young Guns, along with Paul Ryan and Eric Cantor. I guess, you know, now look where all three of those men are today. And the way this went down was you had eight Republicans, specifically eight was the number, who joined forces with 208 Democrats who were quick to line up like ducks in a row following the urging of their leader, Hakeem Jeffries, who instructed them to go for maximum chaos and to decapitate McCarthy. And you had 210 was the number opposed to the ouster of McCarthy. So all Republicans except for eight voted to retain him. I have no water whatsoever to carry for Kevin McCarthy. On the contrary, on the contrary, going back to early January of this year, when it looked like Kevin McCarthy was going to be inevitable as the House Speaker, you had a banned of 15 to 20-ish House conservatives who battle McCarthy for many ballots, for ballots on end during his presumptive ascending to the throne of the House Speaker when the Congress was sworn in in that first week of January. And they made him work for it. I think it took 15 ballots, ultimately, for Kevin McCarthy to get that Speaker bid. At the time, there were many conservatives, folks like Chip Roy of Texas, Andy Biggs of Arizona, Scott Perry of Pennsylvania, who were working really hard, really hard to extract meaningful concessions from Kevin McCarthy and trying to make sure that conservatives would be in a powerful position in his Congress, that conservatives would have critical seats on the Rules Committee, the Appropriations Committee, Committees like that, and furthermore, that McCarthy would commit to various pro-lowercase r Republican measures to devolve power to the committees, get back to regular order, away from this kind of governance by crisis, from continuing resolution and threat and default and all of that, the way that his predecessors, folks like Paul Ryan and John Boehner, ran the chamber. And extract concessions they did. They, they did. Kevin McCarthy essentially gave up everything. He, he really gave away the whole farm to conservatives way back there in January. That shows how, how hungry he was, how eager he was to ascend to the Speaker's throne. And for some, going back to that January fight, even that wasn't enough. So you had most people who were in it really for the substantive objections, folks like Chip Roy, folks like Byron Donalds of Florida, who after they achieved 
essentially everything on their demands list. They were like, okay, Kevin, at this point, I mean, for God's sake, just take it. And then you had others led by Matt Gates of Florida, Lauren Boebert, if memory serves, of Colorado as well, who even that was just not enough. And they held out and said no until the very end. And again, I'm not a huge fan of Kevin McCarthy, to put it mildly. I never have been, ever. So I don't begrudge those folks for continuing even till the last ballot back in January to vote against him. Kevin McCarthy is a total and complete swamp creature. He has no ideological convictions that I, that I am aware of other than the most platitudinous and vague commitments to Republican economic orthodoxy, to trimming taxes, trimming regulations, boosting domestic energy, drilling, things like that. Beyond that, the man is purely transactional. Like most California politicians and many California Republicans, unfortunately, he is in many ways bought and paid for by big tech and Silicon Valley. So I do not carry water for Kevin McCarthy, and I was very critical, very critical of establishment conservative commentators back in, in January, folks like Sean Hannity on Fox News, who were all in for McCarthy from day one and criticized, criticized those House conservatives back in January who extracted these meaningful concessions, thus leading to a fairly openly run House relative to predecessors. In fact, in many ways, the procedures of this current Congress have been so open that the hardliner of all hardliners, Thomas Massey of Kentucky himself, took to the floor earlier this week on Tuesday before they had this fateful vote to actually praise McCarthy, not because he's a man of conviction, because he is not, but to say that the way that he was running the chamber was dramatically superior to the way that his predecessors, such as Boehner and Paul Ryan, were running the chamber there. Again, nonetheless, that has just never been enough for some people. Now, with Matt Gaze in particular, it is important to know that a lot of this is just dramatically personal. So Matt Gates has been facing a, a thorny ethics investigation from House Ethics for a while now pertaining to his drama in Tallahassee, Florida, when it comes to his former friend who has been implicated in interstate sex trafficking rings and all sorts of various misdeeds. Matt Gates, you know, it is worth pointing out, it, it is not a particularly well-kept secret among those who know former staffers of his, who know the way that Gates conducts himself, that he is not necessarily the most ethical person, to put it mildly. This is someone who, uh, again, holding aside whatever you may say about the sex trafficking, I, I, I haven't never done a deep dive on that. I don't know what his level of guilt or lack thereof is on that. But this is a dude who literally has been known, and again, this is not a very well-kept secret for those in the know. He has been known to get high, to like smoke weed basically and get high with the staffers. I, I know people who have done TV hits with Matt Gates on cable news who see the glassiness of his eyes and swear that he is high on national television. So not necessarily the uh, most ethical and upstanding of individuals does typically vote the right way and is well-spoken enough when in front of a TV camera, at least when he is sober, I guess. So... Matt Gates decided to, to, to lead this September-long assault on uh, not just Kevin McCarthy, but really on his fellow House conservatives as well. So we knew that there was going to be a September 30th deadline, that you had to have regular bills or you had to fund the government in some way, whether a continuing resolution, whether this or that. 
Now, McCarthy, because he is purely transactional and because of the devolution to conservatives via the Rules Committee, Appropriations Committee, and so forth, actually yielded in the later stages of September to what Gates' own fellow House Freedom Caucus members essentially demanded, which was starting negotiations with the Senate on a package that would cut spending by 8% relative to baseline and not fund Ukraine, which is one of Gates's purported, or was one of Matt Gates's purported big issues. By the way, big issue for me too. I would very much like to see that Ukraine boondoggle wound down. There is no reason whatsoever why the U.S. taxpayer should be continuing to ship weapons and weapons into this conflict. They are draining precious resources. We'll hold that whole conversation for another day. The purpose, or the point for president purposes, is that Gates got one of his purported demands here. And even that was not ultimately good enough. And they they forced this vote here. And again, it's kind of ironic, right? Because over the weekend, it's deeply ironic, frankly, because over the weekend, you had Kevin McCarthy make a last-minute deal after Gates and his colleagues shot down this 8% no funding of Ukraine starting point for negotiations with the Senate after, after they said, no, no, this is not even good enough. They passed a CR with Democratic help, not a particularly good CR, to put it mildly. It was kind of a stink bomb, but, I mean, at some point, you know, uh, what exactly are you going to do? Are you going to let it shut down? I mean, I have no ideological objection whatsoever to shutting the government down. I simply demand that you have an end goal in mind. What are you doing this for? You know, as I tweeted out, I'm not opposed to blowing shit up if it is the prudential, best calculated means to achieve something important or noble. What I am opposed to is blowing shit up for the sake of blowing shit up, let alone for purposes of purely personal spite. So the, the, the Gates caucus really struggled to enunciate what their position was. What, what were they trying to achieve? I mean, was it no Ukraine funding? I mean, I agree with that, but no, it doesn't seem like it was that because that's what McCarthy... And the House Freedom Caucus was able to achieve as a starting point for negotiation with the Senate. And the Senate Republicans tend to be much more establishment when it comes to this issue. Good luck finding more than two or three at the most Senate Republicans probably who would agree with Gates on that issue, unfortunately, from my perspective. But what did they want? So it seems like they just wanted to take McCarthy's scalp. Right. And sure enough, that is what happened. But it is ironic that McCarthy, who was forced to work with Democrats over the weekend, Gates was apoplectic about this, or at least he was performatively apoplectic about this, saying, oh, what are you doing? McCarthy's working with the Dems. He's selling out conservatives. And then Gates goes ahead and works with Hakeem Jeffries and 207 other Democrats, or 208 Democrats total. The House Republicans in total who who agreed to try to oust Ken McCarthy is, is an interesting mix. So you have some true kind of MAGA-esque figures, Matt Gates of Florida certainly being one of them, the freshman Eli Crane of Arizona being another, Matt Rosendale of Montana, certainly another, Andy Biggs of Arizona would be another one, although I happen to like Andy Biggs a lot. I think that he is a, a, a serious legislator, certainly more so than Matt Gates, for instance. Then you have some other fiscal hardliners in here who aren't necessarily dyed-in-the-wool MAGA, but are really just known for 
severely wanting to cut the size and scope of government and just being dramatically disappointed with McCarthy's failures to do so. so those These would be the more principled objectors here, folks like Ken Buck of Colorado and Tim Burchett of Tennessee. And then you have Nancy Mace of South Carolina, which is really bizarre because Nancy Mace happens to be one of the most moderate members of the entire House Republican caucus. But the drama here is is high. Um, I, I mean, watching that kind of press conference early Tuesday evening with Ken McCarthy just letting it all out there, pretty crazy stuff. I mean, this is quite literally unprecedented in American history. This seems to have divided, to an extent, even Trump world. Of course, Kevin McCarthy really only survived that onslaught from House conservatives back in early January to a large extent because he had the major backing of Donald Trump. Trump was all in, actually, for Kevin McCarthy back then. So McCarthy is clearly Trump-backed. Matt Gates is certainly as Trumpy as it gets in the House, Republic in the House Republican caucus. He... Matt Gates is all in for Trump, which is interesting because Matt Gates also has Florida aspirations politically. He formerly was in the legislator, legislature here prior to his time in the U.S. House, and he is highly rumored to want to ascend to the gubernatorial seat to the governor's mansion again in 2026 when Ron DeSantis here is term limited out. So was all of this just a way to try to boost Matt Gates's national public visibility? Was it trying to just eke out a, a personal victory over McCarthy, who has done nothing to quash his House ethics investigation? Well, Gates certainly has been quick to throw out his MattGates.com fundraising link all over social media. He even did it with Laura Ingram when he joined her shortly after McCarthy's decapitation on Tuesday. So he's clearly trying to fundraise off of it, clearly trying to grandstand a little bit off of it. At the end of the day, again, I carry no water whatsoever for Kevin McCarthy, who I think is just a profoundly transactional figure who doesn't care an iota uh, about conservatism and the issues, frankly, that motivate me day in and day out. What I am most con concerned about is what the purpose of this was, what is going to come next, and what it means for the Republican Party and the conservative movement. So who comes next is an open question, obviously. I mean, House... House Republicans are not even currently there for the rest of this week. I believe that they are back home for the rest of this week. They will reconvene early next week. There will be speeches after Columbus Day on Tuesday to announce or to kind of uh, articulate your case to the caucus, why you should be the new speaker. And then they, they will vote next Wednesday. The two leading candidates as of right now are Steve Scalise, who is the House Majority Leader. He's from Louisiana. He's been a part of House Republican leadership for a very long time, been both majority and, mi and minority whip. He is majority leader. He's probably the odds-on favorite to get it. I mean, to me, Scalise McCarthy is a total wash. I, I view them synonymously as one another. Ditto majority whip Tom Emmer. These people are just crusty leadership types. They are much more transactional. Um, uh, you know, it's worth saying that, you know, Matt Gates. Quote, I think very highly of Steve Scalise. I would vote for Steve Scalise. So, <laughs> I, I, again, I don't know the personal friendship between Gates and Scalise, but if Gates is this enthusiastic about Scalise, but was this zealous against McCarthy, who I, I think are effectively, you can sub one in, sub one out, they're effectively interchangeable, then again, this really does kind of feed the notion that this is just deeply and utterly personal for Matt Gates. 
Another person who is going to toss his hat into the ring is Jim Jordan, the highly visible, camera-friendly chairman of the House Judiciary Committee from Ohio, who perhaps has higher aspirations than Congress, whether that be senator or in a cabinet position in a future Republican administration. Considered to be very close to Trump, uh, certainly Jim Jordan would be an upgrade, no doubt about that, over Kevin McCarthy. I, uh, that is just simply true. Jordan has been skeptical of Ukraine aid. He is considered strong on, on the border, strong on the politicization of, of law enforcement, on, uh, on trying to gut the deep state. He, he, he's generally a solid vote. He's not without some glaring concerns. Uh, Jim Jordan, in many ways, is bought and paid for by Google. He has worked very diligently behind the scenes in multiple of the past Congresses to try to scuttle solid antitrust anti-big tech legislation often proposed by the aforementioned Ken Buck of Colorado. Jordan is never shy to do the bidding of his corporate masters, his corporate donors, when it comes to issues like antitrust, some issues like like regulation that might potentially be prudential in a given scenario there. But he would be a, a serious upgrade for sure over Ken McCarthy. Again, the issue is, can they actually get the votes? I mean, part of the problem all along with Gates's non-strategy has been the fact that McCarthy or Republicans, I should say, have an extremely narrow margin, an extremely narrow margin in the House. That has been one of the problems all along. And, you know, as my friend Ann Coulter, a former guest on this show, as I saw her tweet out, a lot of these problems would be solved, Republicans, if you would just do better electorally and win more seats. Then you have a higher margin to elect someone who happens to be better. So I just don't understand exactly what the point of this was, especially as we are coming up now in roughly 40 days or so to yet another fiscal showdown. I mean, the CR that passed this past week and the, the continuing resolution only lasts for 45 days. So sure enough, just as night follows day, we are going to have yet a, another fiscal showdown here in a month and a half time. Worth noting that if the Gates caucus had held out a little bit more and tried to make their stand during this particular fight, they might have had a little more leverage for doing so. Alas, they have been shot. Unfortunately, conservatives are probably going to pay real dividends because of Gates and some of his comrades choosing to, to fire the gun before aiming, so to speak, here. What incentive is the next House Speaker going to have? to work with the House Freedom Caucus? What incentive is the next House Speaker going to have to even consider conservative demands when it comes to adamantly funding border security, to shutting down the uh, asylum shell game, things like that, to cracking down on sanctuary cities, temporary protected status, all the myriad loopholes in our extraordinary loophole immigration law fabric? What about for Ukraine? I mean, there's virtually no chance that conservatives are going to get what they want on the Ukraine issue. I think what Gates has effectively done, ironically, given his purported position, is to all but assure that Ukraine continues to get tons and tons of money and tons of American weapons systems shipped over to that highly corrupt country. So I hope I'm wrong. I don't think I am, but I, I, I hope I'm wrong here. I have not seen Matt Gates articulate anything remotely resembling a plan. Again, the difference to me 
between the way that this went down and the fight in early January where I was very supportive of the rebels who were challenging McCarthy over the course of many ballots, made him really sweat for it, is that those guys got something. They got meaningful extractions. They got essentially everything that they wanted. Again, that's why the principled objectors, folks like Chip Roy, Byron Donalds, and others, ultimately gave McCarthy the thumbs up after like 12, 13 ballots or whatever because he is at some point was just like, all right, I want this so badly, guys, just take it. That, that seems to me to be very distinct to what happened here. Again, I hope that I am wrong. I do not think I am. And that brings us to the final point about this, which is there is no point, generally speaking, in fomenting chaos for the sake of fomenting chaos. Why? Why? Again, like we said earlier, I have no objection whatsoever to prudentially burning shit down if it is in your way and it is the best means of achieving a noble or important end, best tailored means. But there is no glory in burning shit down or fomenting chaos for the pure sake of it itself. It is not an end unto itself. It is a hardball, albeit at times necessary, means to deploy in a given situation that you are confronting. I fear that many have forgotten that. Truly. I think many out there think that chaos is an end unto itself. It is no such thing. Good governance is important. Knowing how to actually use the levers of power and to wield power is extremely important. Especially at a time when the country is facing all the issues that it's facing from the wide open southern border to the mass crime in our streets, the migrant crisis, the homicide and violent crime crisis. To say nothing of the economy, jobs, inflation still being very thorny, gas prices still near historic highs. Good governance is important. And coming up on an election next fall, how do you think this plays out? Not necessarily for you in the base who might be sympathetic to Gates because he dislikes Kevin McCarthy, which, oh, by the way, I do too. I don't like Kevin McCarthy either. But how do you think this plays out for independent voters? You know, try to put their shoes on. Independent voters who are assessing already, maybe, who to vote for next fall. Does this militate in favor of Republicans gaining more independent votes? Or do independent voters see this along with the fact that the frontrunner for the Republican presidential nomination, Donald Trump, is facing four criminal indictments and a heck of a lot of other civil suits, one for which he's in court this week? Or do they see these data points, independent voters, and conclude that they rather roll the dice with Democrats just because they prefer order and governance to chaos and disruption? It's a legitimate question. And absent a clear goal in mind, I do not think that the Gates crowd has sufficiently assuaged those very real and very legitimate concerns. We will see how this all plays out. We're going to find out hopefully who the next speaker is this coming week. I hope 
that this ends up being worth it. I fear that it will not be.